0: This is Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. Jana Ireland is known for portraits of family and friends that explore domesticity and Black life. She's also an alum of the UCLA Department of Art. But she spent the last few years driving around Los Angeles, taking photos of buildings designed by a great, though underappreciated, LA architect, Paul Revere Williams.
1: This person who was absolutely brilliant by the standards of any time, was doing all of this work in the middle of the 20th century. And while he got a great deal of recognition for it during his lifetime, uh, it wasn't enough, and people don't know his name.
0: Williams broke racial barriers. He was born in Los Angeles in 1894 and orphaned at age four. He excelled in school, landing internships and jobs at prominent architecture firms. He overcame the racial prejudice of the time, becoming the first black licensed architect west of the Mississippi and opening his own practice in 1923. He made history as the first black member of the American Institute of Architects and was posthumously awarded the AIA's 2017 Gold Medal, America's highest honor for an architect. He was the first black architect to receive the distinction. Williams designed over 3,000 structures in a career spanning six decades. Williams was part of the planning and design team for LAX. He also designed the LA County Courthouse, Westwood Medical Center, the first AME church, Golden State Mutual Life Insurance building, Hillside Memorial Park. He renovated the Ambassador Hotel and the Beverly Hills Hotel, both iconic. A number of his buildings have been demolished, but many survive. Ireland's black and white images evoke a moody interior and exterior landscape. The images linger on the voluptuous curves of a staircase, the classical column of a mortuary chapel, the shafts of sunlight through a window, or the delicate details in decorative crown moulding. Her work can be seen in a book from Angel City Press called Regarding Paul R. Williams: a photographer's View. Ireland's interest in photography began at a young age.
1: um my dad is a photographer. He joined the Army during the Vietnam War, and instead of being sent to fight, was sent to photography school in Germany and fell in love with it and continued to take photographs and work as a photographer after he left the Army. And I just grew up with camera equipment everywhere and eventually became curious enough about it that I wanted to try to use it myself. When I was 13, I began carrying a camera everywhere.
0: As Ireland began to research Williams, she felt a kinship with him. She, too, experienced discrimination growing up.
1: I went to a creative and performing arts high school in Philadelphia that conceivably should have been a school where my interests were really encouraged, and for the most part they were, but I had one teacher who told me when I told him that I was planning to apply to NYU to study photography that people from humble beginnings have no place at a school like NYU And I still don't quite know how to interpret that statement. I don't know what he was trying to say exactly, whether he was saying that people who are black have no place at NYU, whether he was making assumptions about my economic background and deciding that I didn't belong at NYU because of those assumptions or what it really meant. But it was very discouraging and I almost didn't apply.
0: Ireland did go on to get her BFA from the Department of Photography and Imaging at NYU. That's where she began exploring the themes that would become central to her work.
1: I did some early self-portraits, but it took a while for me to become comfortable doing that kind of work, and I did all sorts of other things in the meantime. I did some really uh, rudimentary experiments uh, about the performance of gender identity. I made comics. um, I made viewmaster reels. I just kind of tried a lot of different things before i figured out what i wanted my work to be about or actually before i before i became comfortable expressing these ideas that i'd known for a long time i was interested in
0: what were some of those topics or themes that you decided to start exploring
1: i wanted to look at my own life and my own experience and coming from a school where I didn't have the same economic background as some of the other students. I mentioned my teachers' assumptions about uh, where I came from and whether my family could afford to send me to NYU. But the truth was, it was a major financial decision for me that has the re- the repercussions of that decision uh, have continued to this day. I'm still paying off my NYU loans. So I was studying with students who had freedoms that I didn't, who could spend money on equipment, who could intern whenever they wanted to because they weren't working 20 hours a week as a work-study student like I was. So I had to get past some of those things or figure out ways to work some of those things into the photographs that I was making.
0: Did you have any professors at UCLA that inspired you or influenced you?
1: When I was applying to graduate programs, I knew next to nothing about graduate art programs when I started the process. And I began by researching the faculty at lots of different schools. And the faculty at UCLA was very exciting for me. They were artists whom I recognized and whose work I appreciated and who I wanted to learn from. So just being part of UCLA's program And working with those faculty and working with the students those faculty had chosen was a really formative experience for me.
0: What advice would you give to students who are interested in photography and and making a career as a fine artist?
1: I think that my best advice is probably finding the time and space for your work wherever you can. As an undergraduate, I worked so much and I couldn't devote as much time to my actual work as an artist as I wanted to. My entire thesis exhibition was embroidery that I hung from curtain rods because I thought if I take photographs, there's no way I'll be able to afford to get them printed and framed the way I wanted to. So my entire college experience was finding workarounds so that I could still be doing work and turning in work and learning without ever really admitting that I couldn't pay for anything. So I was doing things like um, borrowing books from the library and making photocopies at work so I wouldn't have to buy the textbook. The big reason that I went to graduate school was to give myself that time and space to see what I could do with it and see what my work could become if I had time to just focus on being an artist and be focusing less on survival. I would also add that it's important to figure out ways to make the work that you want to make, work that is about things that are important to you and are not dictated by what you think someone else wants to see. And then keep making it whenever you can and find a community of people who are interested in it to show it to and to talk with.
0: Can you talk about how you got started on this project of photographing Paul Revere Williams' buildings? What led to this?
1: The project of working on photographing Paul Revere Williams' buildings wasn't my original idea. I got an email from Barbara Bester who is an architect with a practice here in Los Angeles and who runs the Julius Schulman Institute at Woodbury University. Woodbury University's architecture department got a grant from Julius Schulman to uh, host programming and exhibitions related to architectural photography. And Barbara wanted to do a show of work about Paul Williams for Woodbury and the gallery that they had at the time in Hollywood. And she needed someone to do this work. And James Welling, who was a professor of mine at UCLA, uh, he's no longer there. He's teaching somewhere else, but was one of the amazing artists who drew me to UCLA in the first place, recommended me for this. And I began working on this project. We had the exhibition at Woodbury's Gallery, and then I just continued working on it. I worked on it in my own time as much as I could. I was still working full time then, and I had two little children. So actually finding the time to do it was quite a challenge, but I kept at it and ended up being invited to do several speaking engagements related to the work, which led to me meeting the publishers of my book.
0: Did you start this project thinking it would become a
1: book? There's kind of always the goal of maybe making a book one day in the back of my mind when I'm doing my work. But I didn't approach the publisher and say, this is what I want to do. Uh, I got very lucky to meet the Angel City Press publishers at an event and have people say very nice things about my work. And then I just sort of stumbled into a book contract and into having all of these opportunities that have come with the publication of the book.
0: And when James Welling suggested to Barbara Bester that you should do this project, I mean, what did you think? Were you uh, apprehensive, you know, because you're not an architectural photographer in sort of the traditional sense?
1: I was very apprehensive. Um, I felt willing to take on the challenge, but I also felt um, not pressure from anyone to do it correctly but I wanted to make sure that I could do justice to the work that I was seeing and that I could make work that would stand up with other architectural photography. So I kind of had to figure out what I liked about architectural photography and what I didn't like about it and how I wanted to photograph these buildings.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Because architectural photography, generally, you're hired by the client, right? So your job is to make the building look as good as possible. So eliminate sort of shadows or anything that uh, isn't flattering to the building. And you definitely didn't go that route uh, with your project. So what did you take from architectural photography into this
1: project? I think I just learned what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to make photographs that were about showing spaces that were for sale or were about furniture or about design. I wanted to photograph them in a way that really concentrated on architecture itself. And the way that I chose to do that is to really look at small parts of particular rooms and how rooms fit together versus how everything looks together.
0: The, the images are all black and white. It's a lot of light and shadow, and you're not bringing in lights. You're just using whatever light's available. Can you talk about the style that you chose to use to photograph these buildings?
1: I did bring lights to my first couple of shooting appointments at Paul Williams Homes. And because I'd worked with artificial lighting so much in the past, I just wanted the option. And I thought, this is something I'm comfortable doing. Let's see what happens if I do, if I work this way. But as soon as I got to the first house, I knew that I wanted to photograph the way that light was coming in through the windows, the way that that light actually functions in that particular house. So I didn't take the lights out at all. And then I brought them to the next shoot, didn't take them out and just realized that I wanted to concentrate on the way these structures actually look and the way people actually experience them.
0: Would you usually spend a lot of
1: time at each site? It really varies. Um, I've had pretty short shoots, maybe 45 minutes to an hour if there's some kind of time constraint. And I've spent four hours at sites. I recently had a really new experience in Ohio. I took color photographs of a Paul Williams home for the first time. And I was able to arrange it that I could visit twice in one day. So I was able to photograph the light as it appeared mid-morning and mid-afternoon.
0: How would you describe Paul Revere Williams' style? I mean, does he
1: have a distinguishing style? There are things that he returned to over and over again in his work. I think that's true for most creative people, that even if they do lots of different things, that they do have a set of consistent preoccupations that follow them through everything that they do. Um, One that comes up over and over again in Paul Williams's work is his use of curves, his use of really voluptuous curves that are sometimes functional and sometimes just decorative in his work. One thing that distinguishes Paul Revere Williams from his contemporaries many of them who are more well-known than he is, is that they were working in very distinctive styles. They were making homes that were designed to be immediately recognizable as designed by those particular architects. And Paul Reveal Williams didn't have the same luxury. And actually what made his career possible was his ability to work in many, many different styles So there are signatures there, there are touches that repeat, but the thing that made him special and made him successful was this ability to shift styles for different clients.
0: And in fact, there are some projects where he is combining styles, right? So there's Spanish Colonial and Tudor and Mid-Century Modern. Uh, It's kind of like remixing different styles all within the same project.
1: Yes, and though he was working in in these revivalist styles often, he was interested in modern materials. So there are places where there is use of concrete, for example, that doesn't fit in with the traditional uses of that particular architectural style. So he was interested in technological innovation in his work.
0: And there's a huge range of the types of projects he did, too. I mean huge mansions for celebrities, but also housing projects, hotels, churches, banks. There's such a gamut of uh, different things that he'd made.
1: Absolutely. Middle schools, hospitals, churches, as you mentioned, for many different denominations and religions. He really did work that served many, many different kinds of people.
0: Are there like parts of his house or you mentioned some kind of signatures that he would do, like his curves that you'd look for right away when you got to a building, especially shooting an interior? Would you try to look for that like Paul Revere Williams touch?
1: I never went into any of these structures looking for anything specific. I just wanted to see what was there. Um, Usually a visit to a site to take photographs begins with a tour, maybe from a homeowner or from a steward of the space. And I use that time to kind of get an idea of how the place feels and, and what's in it. But I don't want to cut myself off from what's actually there by looking for something specific.
0: But that said, were there certain things that drew you, maybe the light coming through the windows or the curve of the stairway or, you know, an arched doorway, certain things that you would say, ah, there it is.
1: I mean, the curves come up again and again, but the the whole thing is that there was so much variety. And the thing that is consistent is the level of detail, the level of care. So it's not particular architectural details. It is a particular hand, putting it all together, that's consistent. It's the thoughtful way in which these places were designed. That is where I see him. It's in looking at them as a whole. It's not one little detail that pops out.
0: How much did you know about Williams before you started on this project?
1: Absolutely nothing. I had probably heard his name once or twice. So the project has always been a research project in addition to the project of actually making the photographs.
0: And what was that research like? I mean, there's no definitive archive of his work. So how did you find all his projects. I mean, he had something like 3,000 projects that he worked on.
1: Well, until, the the thing is, there is a definitive archive, but no one has seen it yet. Um, When I began the work, the first thing I heard was that everything from his office was lost in a fire in 1992. But then I started hearing rumors that a lot of it survived and was tucked away somewhere. And last year, it was announced that the Getty Research Institute and the USC School of Architecture would hold his archive. So it's, it's there it, somewhere at a Getty building. It's sitting in tubes waiting for the pandemic to be over so that people can begin accessing the materials and figuring out what is in this archive.
0: That's amazing. So it wasn't lost in a fire? Because I thought the building that had his archives in it were burned during the 92 riots.
1: The Broadway Federal Savings and Loan Building, which he designed, did burn down, and it had his office records. So what was lost was things like his correspondence with other architects, his financial records, records about the people who worked in his office. But what survived is drawings. So there are tubes and tubes and tubes of drawings from the office. And there is probably some other archival material mixed in there as well, but I think the bulk of it is drawings.
0: Since you haven't been able to access that, what were you able to access to learn more about him as a person and about his work?
1: There is a project called the Paul Revere Williams Project that the University of Memphis Art Museum put together that has some really fantastic research on him. There's a site called U.S. Modernist that does the work of verifying addresses that are known to be Paul Williams' buildings as actually being by him. And they do that for several other architects as well. And talking to people was a big thing. So often I would talk to someone and it would lead me to someone else. And then once the work started getting out into the world, I began being contacted by people who had connections to his buildings.
0: How unique was Paul Revere Williams? Because, you know, he was born at the turn of the century. And then in the early 1900s, he was the the first licensed black architect west of the Mississippi and became the first black member of the American Institute of Architects. So this is all well before the civil rights movement. Was there anyone
1: else like him? Not who was working at the same capacity he was and in as many styles. So his work is really unique in terms of the volume and the skill. But it is also important to note that he may have been the first licensed Black architect west of the Mississippi, but of course he wasn't the only Black person designing buildings west of the Mississippi. So his success was something that was unique, but he wasn't all by himself for his entire career.
0: Often when people talk about Williams, they call him African-American architect, Paul R. Williams. Uh, You learn about his race almost before you learn about any of his projects. Did he talk much about his race and was racism
1: something that he discussed? He talked some about it and he did write for um, publications like Ebony, for example. It was certainly something that he was very aware of um, and something that people were aware of when they talked about him. Or if people didn't know, maybe they found it out when they got to his office. And it's something that still comes up. The reason that I mention it is because I want people to understand exactly what he had to overcome to become who he was. But I do worry that always discussing him as a Black architect is setting him aside and making it harder to fully appreciate what he did. I, I want him to be able to be compared to his contemporaries without that asterisk.
0: Do you think that his actual work is overshadowed by his stature and you know, how notable his accomplishments were given his race?
1: I do think that his actual work is overshadowed. And one reason that that happens in addition to um, his race and the impressiveness of being the first Black person to do so many of these things, like become an AIA fellow, is that there's this famous Julius Schulman photograph of him in front of the theme building. And many people think that he designed the theme building at LAX, but he didn't. He was on the master plan committee that put the airport together. So people kind of think, oh, the theme building, got it. And they think they understand what his work is about, or they think celebrity mansions, got it. So the way he's presented as the architect to the stars also limits people's understanding of what he did and what he was capable of doing.
0: Do you think his clients treated him differently or cared about his race or were they just interested in his abilities?
1: It depended on the client. And that's something that he didn't talk about publicly uh, extensively, so there is some mention of it. He talks about clients who wouldn't sit next to him or wouldn't shake his hand, but he doesn't name names. So I don't have any idea about what percentage of his clients um, fully respected him as a human being and which percentage didn't or were um, skeptical about working with him.
0: I mean, was he vocal about the civil rights movement as far as
1: you know? I do not know what his thoughts were, but I can say that he... When you look at the fact that he was designing housing projects and low-income housing and middle-class housing for black people, it's, I think it's pretty clear that he wasn't interested in just being the architect for the stars and that that says something about what he really cared about.
0: When you went to visit homes that he designed to photograph them, did the current owners of the homes know that they lived in a Paul R. Williams designed home? Did they care?
1: They did. They did care. Um, there's a kind of a problem with his architecture, at least here in Los Angeles, where uh, sometimes a home will be purchased and knocked down. But the people whose homes I visited and photographed were people who were very respectful of the houses and wanted to make sure that any changes they made were in line with the existing architecture or make sure that they were restoring things as closely as possible to the original condition.
0: There are some photographs in the book that are not of buildings, but actually of dirt lots where William's buildings used to be, which to me are very poetic and um, speak to the ephemeral nature, not just of architecture, but of life itself. Can you talk about those images, the kind of ghost images?
1: Yes. The first part of the project was photographing structures, mostly homes that were in pretty good condition. And as I continued to work on the project, I became interested in deterioration and in the things that were no longer there. And I wanted to make sure that I included some of those in the book to make it clear that just because some people appreciate this work, that not all of it is safe. And some of that destruction can be uh, fires or earthquakes. And some of it is just people who don't understand what they have or would rather have something else.
0: So even though we sort of revere Paul Williams, there's a sense that a lot of his buildings have just sort of been demolished without really any care that it was him that designed them
1: we don't know what the scale of that looks like yet i don't know how many have been destroyed without full appreciation of who he was there are no records on that but there are also plenty that have been uh, seriously remodeled the numbers are really staggering when you look at, at all of the work that he did and with no accessible archive there's really no way to keep track of everything.
0: Looking at some of your past projects, you've done a lot of portraiture. And I wonder if you think of this project in some ways as a portrait of Paul Revere Williams through the buildings that he designed.
1: I've had other people describe the project to me that way. And it wasn't really what I set out to do, but it's something that people see in the work. And I've been told that I photograph Structures in the same way that I photograph people, and I don't really know what that means. Um, I It's hard to look at my work as someone else. I can only see it as, as myself, as the person who did it. Uh, but I think that that's interesting and, and probably spot on. I talked about consistent preoccupations that creative people have a little earlier, and I would say that you can probably see that in my work.
0: If you had the chance to talk to Paul River Williams, what
1: would you want to ask him? I think I would want to ask him what he would have done if he could have done anything. If he could have worked without any kind of constraint and without having to please specific clients who wanted specific things, would he have chosen a signature style? Or would he have worked many different ways? Would he have focused on architecture that was more modern? Would he have continued to explore revivalist styles? What was he personally most interested in, in terms of architecture?
0: Do you have any favorites among all the buildings that you photographed?
1: My favorite thing to do is visit people's homes and... In the homes, I think you get a real sense of the variety. In the book, there are a few places where I've put together grids that either show homes that are similar or homes that are dissimilar. And I love looking at them all together and thinking about this person who could do all of these different things and do them so well. I often think about the experience of photographing Founders Church of Religious Science, which I visited. few times to take photographs. Uh, It's a a church in Koreatown, and it looks like it's a circle from the ground, but it's actually an elongated elliptical shape, so you go inside and feel kind of cocooned in this space. Um, I thought that was a really special place, and it's also a place that hasn't been updated very much, so it still has all of the original seats that were put in when the church was built. It's still very much like it was in the 1960s.
0: Wow. You know, I asked you what you see of Paul Revere Williams in his buildings. What do you see of yourself in these photographs? And, you know, what was going on in your life as you were working on this project?
1: When I started, I was working full time at USC. And I became pregnant with my second child right as I was beginning this work, so this was an opportunity to uh, get out of the house (laughs) on Saturdays and make some photographs at a time in my life where I had been thinking maybe I will work in an office doing administrative work for the rest of my life, and if that happens, that's fine. I can make my art. my own time but the project grew so much bigger than that Um, the project just kept going and in the meantime I was also making work about myself and my family and then I began teaching at Pasadena City College in the evenings so all of that combined with caring for my children led me to leave my full-time job so and this project very much feels when I think about it I think about it as this thing that I was working on at this time in my life when I was trying to figure out what I wanted my life to look like and what my goals really were.
0: How does this project fit in with other projects of yours? Like you you mentioned um, photographing your family. There's a lot of uh, scenes of domesticity, like in uh, Milk and Honey or the Spotless Mirror, pictures of uh, your husband Joe and, and your kids, very intimate family moments as well as more kind of posed- portraits, do you feel like this is part of a larger body of
1: work? Well they aren't necessarily visually consistent, I do think of those bodies of work together. There is the preoccupation I have with home and domestic spaces, as well as my interest in telling stories that are about Black people and the different ways that we live and exist in the world, particularly in the United States.
0: Is the Paul R. Williams project done with the publication of this book? Or do you feel like this is going to be an ongoing project for you?
1: I think that it will be ongoing. I don't know what that will look like yet. I have photographed Paul Williams' home since the book was published. I'm actually photographing an apartment building this weekend. But I don't know if it if that will become another book there's so many other things i'm interested in doing but because of the volume of his work and because of the new possibilities for scholarship about his work that have come out of the acquisition of the archive it doesn't feel done it feels like there's so much more to learn about him and about his work and that it's not something that i can just drop because the book has come out
0: you're not a um, native Angelino. You moved to L.A. You know, relatively recently, within the last decade. How has this project helped you learn about L.A. and become more closely connected to the city?
1: I learned how to drive while I was doing this project. I got my driver's license, and I got my first car while I was working on this project. So I also I really associate it with learning the city and with moving around the city in a free way that I couldn't before. When I was either working full time and didn't have the ability to just go wherever I wanted to, or when I was limited by not being able to drive in where I could go and when.
0: And does it give you a greater appreciation for the built environment of Los Angeles? Because LA is a city that you know a lot of people who don't live here kind of look down on or make fun of. Do you have a a love of Los Angeles that developed with this project?
1: My love of Los Angeles developed before I began this project, but this project really deepened that love of, of L.A. People do think that L.A. is a shallow place and a place with no history, but there is so much complicated history in the various industries that are here, in art, in architecture, in the way the city is set up. There's so much to learn about it and so much history. And I love reading about the city and learning more about the city and driving all around it and meeting different people who have had different experiences of being here has been really fascinating.
0: This book came out in September, which was during a summer of Black Lives Matter and a massive civil rights movement across the country. I think what's notable about this project is that it's a celebration of Black excellence and achievement. And that's notable because a lot of Black stories that are being told focus on a history of Black trauma and suffering. And I think it's important to talk about Black greatness as well.
1: Absolutely. Um, This person who was absolutely brilliant by... The standards of any time was doing all of this work in the middle of the 20th century. And while he got a great deal of recognition for it during his lifetime, uh, it wasn't enough. And people don't know his name. People who should know his work don't know his work. And if this time can do things for his reputation and for Um, making this work known to other people i'm i'm happy i'm very happy about that and happy to be a part of it
0: that was jonna ireland you can see images from her book regarding paul r williams a photographer's view at our website arts.ucla.edu This has been Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. Thank you so much for listening and take care.